Welcome to the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Revival can only happen with the move of the Lord, but we can till the soil in preparation for God to send the rain. Hi, this is Keith Tusi, and welcome to Leadership in Context. Do you ever hear people talk about revival and then silently wonder what are they really talking about? And I think it's one of those Christian terms that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But, you know, there really is a historic grid that we can look at and we can identify some of these items. And I think the reason it's important to identify them is so that we can try to cultivate them. While revival certainly requires the Lord doing things, I tend to be Methodist in my thinking Uh, and believe that God responds to things we're doing as well. And we can till the soil while we expect the Lord to send the rain. I think that's a good analogy. But I want to give you seven historic markers. I think they're biblical. I, I know they're historical. And I think you'll bear witness with them, and they deserve to be considered. Uh, I'm not saying this is the consummate list, but I think it is a good parameter for us to understand. So number one, revival is an awakening of our offense towards God as opposed to our problems with life. In other words, when we're approaching sin or things going wrong in our life, it's because we've offended God, not because it's affected my money, it's affected my family, it's affected my happiness. All those things obviously are important and they come to come to the table in our walk with the Lord. But when there's a brokenness about how we've grieved the heart of God, we feel bad for our relationship with God, that we've disappointed God, that we've sinned against God, that we've been lukewarm against God in some way. Uh, that is it. Not just that our lives have been negatively affected or we haven't achieved the things we want to achieve or haven't got the blessing or whatever it is that we're seeking. Uh, revival is marked by the fact that people have a deep conviction and an awakening of how bad we need the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. So number one, without a doubt, is a is a personal awakening in regard to our offense towards God. Number two, there is a focus on eternal matters, not just temporal. When we're considering everything, we're considering what eternity looks like. That becomes the fragrance, that becomes the filter, that becomes the focus of the things we're talking about. Uh, I think it's easy to say today that there is very little teaching and there is very little preaching on eternity, on eternal consequences. Uh, heaven and hell are not even preached about a lot. There is data that shows some surveys that about 50% of people that identify themselves as evangelical don't even believe in a literal hell. I don't know how that's possible, how you can be an evangelical and say you believe the Bible and then take hell out of the Bible. Uh, it's certainly an unpopular doctrine. Anything in our culture that has to do with the consequence for sin uh, is uh, not treated very seriously. Uh, so be, they're just being a, f- a focus on eternity, songs about eternity, prayers about eternity, uh, lifestyle decisions driven by eternity, uh, not just temporal. Uh, we are 
I think, more sophisticated in many ways in understanding great principles on the Bible and how they can cause you to be prosperous and effective. And I don't think we've got to throw them out, but I think we need to go to another dimension and think about things in an eternal manner. The long-term picture, standing before God, the judgment seat of Christ, those type of things, thinking about eternity, having that as the the veil, so to speak, that is cast upon the thing we're doing. Number three, dedication to personal holiness, not living our lifestyle as the status quo. What do other Christians do? What other Christians don't do? You know, how close can I be to the world and get away with it type of thing? But a dedication, being willing to be personally nudged by the Lord, to have a fasted lifestyle, to have a separated lifestyle, to have certain things in our life that are sanctified and called apart by the Lord. Uh, This is one of the remarks of revival, where believers uh, don't only walk away from sin, they walk away from weights, they walk away from distractions, they walk away from amusements, they walk away from things that misdirect them that are not necessarily a sin. They're not a black and white offense towards God, but for that time in their life, they are looked at as a weight. They are looked at as a distraction. They are looked at as something that is taking energy and affection away from the purpose of God. So number three would be uh, a renewed dedication to personal holiness. When I say holiness, I mean uh, a lifestyle that is set aside. Uh, Are we growing in conviction would be a good way to put that. Number four, uh, maybe the most obvious one, maybe one of the ones you think of first of all when you think about revival, and that is a love and concern for lost people, a love and concern, seeing people as golden grain that's ripe for the off, a concern for them uh, that affects our time, our talent, and our treasures, a concern for lost people that emboldens our witnesses and causes us to be bold, that sets ourselves aside and thinks about them, where we're willing even to be ridiculed for the gospel, for the preaching of the gospel, for the pleading of men's Uh, souls, where we become that embodiment of 2 Corinthians 5, where the ministry of reconciliation is working through us, and we are pleading for people to come to Christ. Just a love and a concern. I don't know that you can have a concern apart from love, and I don't know if you can have a biblical love apart from concern. I think there's a lot of loving actions that are being executed by the church. There's an emphasis on, you know, loving your neighbor. But if you love your neighbor, you have to be concerned about their eternity, their lostness, their state of being unredeemed, that if they were to breathe their last breath, they would not be ready for heaven. This is definitely a mark of when revival starts to sweep. Number five, a decision to make restitution. Not just to accept forgiveness, but to make restitution. In other words, I feel so bad about my sin. I'm not just asking you to forgive me. I want to make it up to you. I was recently watching a news story where a man that had been in jail for quite some time had gone and confessed to another crime he had committed that he was not connected to, 
There was no evidence. There was no accusation. They would have never identified him with, but he had a real experience with the Lord while in jail and went to the authorities, wrote a letter and said, I committed this crime. I need to be punished for this crime. Uh, That's a mark of repentance. That's a mark of somebody that's really sorry for what they've done. Uh, When there's redemption, and restitution go together, what happens by nature is you begin to draw in third parties. So for instance, when that man did that, there were other people that were affected. When we we repent before God, that's us and God. When we move into restitution, now there's a ring of redemption we've thrown out to other people that begins to affect them. They may not understand it. They might even mock it. But God honors it. It becomes the evidence of a life that's really changed. Uh, when restitution is uh, a manifestation of the depth of the forgiveness that we've received. Number six, there becomes a expectation of divine intervention. We could say an atmosphere of faith, but an expectation of divine intervention. When revival is happening, uh, there is the inclination to seek the Lord first, not just to rely on our own wits, on our own wisdom, on our own resources. And there's an expectation of divine intervention. Men and women put themselves out there proclaiming what God will do and standing back and waiting and expecting him to move not only on their behalf, but on the behalf of others. There is a great expectation level when revival is sweeping because there's a sense of how great God is and how he loves to intervene in the lives and the affairs of men. Uh, The atmosphere of faith is contagious, and it's one of the things that brings people in to that spirit of revival. That would be number six. Number seven is that there's a commitment of service, that people begin to set themselves aside, not just in five-fold ministry, but they just begin to set themselves aside. They serve faithfully in the church. They serve in outreaches of the church. They serve those who are serving in the church. One of the manifestations of revival is that those people that are being effective in missions uh, get great support. They get great workers. They get great givers. They get great associates. They get great great prayer teams working with them. And then, of course, the ultimate thing is there, is that men and women are willing to set themselves aside for service. They set themselves aside, whether it's for a month, a year, a week, a lifetime, but they say, God, I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to set myself aside for service. It could be foreign. It could be domestic. It could be in the church. It could be in the community. But it's a clear sign of what happens when there are revival fires and revival winds that are moving. Little embers, little outposts of the kingdom of God get cast out there. And so as we're encouraging people to commit their lives to service, not just function, but service, not just doing something, but understanding the connection to exalting the king. Hey, I think these seven points are very fascinating. Uh, I just gather these up from, you know, reading and in my limited experience. And I've seen Sparks Revival. I've been involved in revival in the Soviet Union in the 80s. And so some of these things I've seen firsthand. Hey, this is Keith Tusi. Share this with somebody. Ignite a spark in them. Uh, God bless you. Have a great day. Today, Keith had a discussion on what revival looks like. Revival happens when there is an awakening of our offense towards God, a focus on eternal matters, a dedication to personal holiness, a love and concern for lost people, a decision to make restitution, 
an expectation of divine intervention, and a commitment of service. Let's till the soil and expect the Lord to send the revival rains. Thank you for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, you can check out our website, find us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.